I, I don't know. What do you drink if you don't drink coffee? I'll drink a chai latte oh, or I'll get no. a juice. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Kev. This will be the last podcast for 2020. The next two weeks will be part one and part two of the roundtable Q&A with most of the previous guests from this year. Uh, it was a hell of a lot of fun to record. A lot, a lot of fun. A little bit of chaos, but mostly fun. Uh, so yeah, stick around for, um, for the next uh, part, for part one and part two. Um, and as always, if you have any uh, questions or suggestions, please leave it in the comments. And if you're enjoying it, leave a rating for me. Uh, next year, we will be back. Uh, slightly different format. Very, very excited to, uh, to be back next year. We'll let you know what the, uh, what the format will be for next year. And um, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully bringing some uh, good and interesting content. If you're still struggling for a last-minute Christmas gift or if you just need your normal supply of caffeine, Journey Made Coffee. Journey Made Coffee is located on the mid-central coast and, uh, yeah, basically has everything that you need from all the, uh, all the coffee brewing utensils uh, to the raw beans and they can even ground it for you. My personal choice is Hillville Blend. We buy it as a, uh, a kilo bag at a time and uh, trust me, it doesn't stick around for very long. So yeah, Journey Made Coffee. Use the code MYMATE at checkout uh, to receive 10% off your order. So without further ado, this is my mate, Britt. Britt, thank you very much for joining me. No worries. It's a pleasure to finally get this done. <laughs> how's um how how are you travelling at the moment? Between sleep deprivation and trying to you know get some spare time, it's pretty busy, pretty exhausting. Um, the little one just before just overtired and just screaming and everything, and I was just like, "You need to sleep, buddy. You need to sleep." And I <laughs> finally got him down. I mean, look, I'm, I'm almost 40 and I sympathize with that. I, I get like that when I'm tired, I, I kick and scream and I need to be told to be good to go to bed as well. So I sympathize. Uh, I just don't understand why kids want to fight it. Like, man, if, I, if someone says to me, go, go to sleep, I'll go to sleep. <laughs> so this is, um, this is number two for you guys. It is. We have a, uh, five-year-old crazy munchkin little girl who is, I swear she's turning 18 already. <laughs> and a, uh, yeah, 10-week-old today, little boy. Excellent. How's um, a, a lot of people compare the, the, the boys and girls when they're, when they're young? How are, they, um, how are they comparing so far? Well, my daughter was quite a spewer when she was a little one. Oh, no. And um, a little bit of a screamer. And the little boy, he... Not much of a spewer. He's more interested in the lights and all that kind of stuff. And um, he does have a bit of a high-pitched squeal at the moment, which is uh, quite ear-piercing. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Is the so, um, is the boy disrupting um, the the little girl's life at all, or is she pretty pretty uh, pretty chill with it all? Ah, uh, she get, she's a bit chilled about it, but when it comes to her sleep time. She's like, I can't sleep, mummy. He's too loud. <laughs> well, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing if, if she wants to get that sleep. Um, I've, yeah. I've got a lot of friends that have two and have a, have a fairly new two and just 
one of them will stir up the other and on purpose just so that the other one can stay awake longer and <laughs> it's just yeah we 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 stopped it too we, we stopped at one for a very good reason <laughs> yeah. oh, i'm sure it's all the things to look forward to me <laughs> oh. so yeah so uh brit um for the listeners out there um tell everyone who who brit is so brit is a 28 year old young woman sometimes i don't feel young <laughs> um <laughs> Two kids, um, married to a crazy, handsome husband of mine who's um, also a firefighter as well. And I actually met him in the in the fireys. He was my instructor. Mm-hmm. So uh, good old student-teacher relationship there. <laughs> I, I, I am actually going to leave that well and truly alone. <laughs> <laughs> he actually got permission off his captain if he could actually date me. Wow. There you go. So, Very good. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I spent some time in the military for about seven years and uh, did an overseas deployment for seven months. Excellent. And um, got to a point in that job that, you know, family come first and it just felt like a bit of a, uh, how can I put it, for them like a inconvenience that I had kids. Sure. So I just ended up making the decision that, you know what, family first, mm-hmm. time to get back home where I have support and family and friends. Mm-hmm. So left left that job and then uh, got back to fireys and haven't looked back since. Okay. And that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty much how I know you through the fireys, sort of, kind of, because I was trying to work out before we, we jumped on and, and recorded I don't think we've actually met in person. And if we have, I there is a really good chance I would have been running around like a crazy person. Yeah, I don't know. The last fire season, I, I think I encountered so many individuals from um, many trucks and all that. Like, oh, couldn't put a name to a face <laughs> and who I met and who I didn't meet. So I know we've talked a lot over social media, but who knows? We probably did bump into each other last year sometime yeah yeah i was actually referring more to the climb because that that's that's how i think uh, i know yep. you yeah yeah we were looking forward to um doing the climb last year but uh skies turned orange and need a cruise for trucks and yeah made the decision to stay home plus we were hearing on the radio that the uh, highway down south near foster i think it was mm-hmm. fire was um impacting the highway and they stopped traffic and you know, we probably would have been sitting there for five, six hours, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, my few, um, my, my mates at Davidson decided to um, to carry your um, your numbers up for you. It did. We didn't, you know, expect them to, to do that because I think we may have read something that um, may not have been able to nah. take other people's things up or whatever. But when we saw the pictures and all that, we were yeah. like, wow. That is what I love about being a fire is the mateship and, you know, people willing to do those little things. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, the, the thing I love about the climb, um, in, you know, over, over the last five years is that there's, there's 600 odd, odd firefighters with um, um, like super engaged um, common goal and they just, they, they cannot do enough to, to help one another. And I know last year was, um, 
was 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 an absolute nightmare like the the night before like the the whole like much of the east coast of australia pretty much lit up um and it was just it was nuts and we, we were listening to it on fire comms from sydney and stuff like that and um you know the the um, the, the choice and the decision to, to continue ahead and the, the support we had to do that, which was fantastic. And we had people coming off the fire ground and, and literally like climbing straight up. And then there were finishing, a lot of them were finishing and heading straight off. And we, we tried to accommodate as many people as we could to do that, to, to climb up early and, you know, and, and go and, and go and do what they love doing. Take my hat off to those that, you know, come straight off the fire ground to tackle the climb. Like, whew. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty nuts. But um, you know what? It's, um, I, I suppose, uh, not only is it a, is it a great cause, but a, a lot of, um, a lot of firefighters sort of see it as, you know, probably part of the nicer part of the job. And, you know, they, they not only train for it, you know, over the 12 months, but, um, you know, to put a lot of effort into um, the fundraising as well. So, yeah. Um, Let's circle back to your um, to your career in the ADF. Um, we've briefly discussed this this before, but how do you perceive um, general or Australia's civilian Australians uh, Australia's civilian population? Um, how do you think they perceive Australia's military? When it comes to the likes of Anzac Day, and you see the people, you know, lined up on the streets and you're marching down. Like, they're absolutely proud of, you know, those that are serving. They're waving their Australian flags, they're clapping. And it's quite, for me, marching was quite emotional, you know, seeing the public do that, you know, seeing the support and mm-hmm. that they were giving us. It's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. It's, um, it's still not quite on the level of how patriotic Americans get about their military, though, is it? Oh, definitely not. Um, I was doing a course um, to be promoted to a Lance Corporal and um, one of the Marines, because we had them on our course, mm-hmm. um, did a presentation on what the Marines were and all that. And just to see how patriotic they were, it's like, holy moly, mm. like, it's amazing. You don't, yeah, you definitely don't see that in Australia. Mm. Um did you get much? Um, did you get much criticism about um, your time serving in the um, in the ADF at all? Because I, I know, I mean, look, social media is a really bad gauge for it, and, and I try to stay off social media media as, as much as I can. But there seems to be a lot of negative connotations that go with um, with Australia's involvement in, you know, whatever they're involved with, and um, you know, the the their people serving in, in the current military. Yeah, I tried to not read any social media posts about, you know, troops being deployed because I just get so frustrated. You know, this is our job. This is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. We want to be deployed. We want to be able to do our job in a deployed manner and mm-hmm. be able to make a difference. But um, I remember my mum saying to me before I got deployed and I told her the news, she's like, no. <laughs> no, you can't go. I'm going to break your leg, so you can't go. I'm like, Mum, it's fine. I'm in a good area. I'm not going to be in danger. Nothing to worry about. How did you um, How did you get into the ADF? Like, was it um, was it something that you were interested in high school, and you sort of followed on from there, or was it something else? Or 
Yeah, so I've had a lot of family in the past who have served in World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, and I guess in my heart it just felt like it was my turn to take a part and, you know, continue on that tradition sure. of a military family. Yep. And I've always been a bit of a tomboy, love to be, you know, in the dirt, playing with the cars and trucks <laughs> and seeing, you know, the obstacle courses on the ads. I was like, oh, this is for me. I'm going <laughs> to give it a good red-hot crack. How was it um, applying? Because, I mean, the um, – oh, and, look, I, I can only go off my um, – my experience with um, with with my fire organisation at the moment, the um, the leaps and bounds to for inclusiveness and equality and stuff like that over the last say five to ten years have been amazing, and and, and I'm very like it's it's it is far from perfect, um, but I am very very proud to as to how far they've come. But how was it being a being a female and applying for the ADF uh, when you did? Time that I did, I think it was back in. 2009 because I actually applied not long after my brother passed away in a car accident because I was well, one of the last things that he said to me was I want you to join up I want you to get a nice car and all this stuff mm-hmm. but um there wasn't such a big deal with the whole you know equality you know bringing more females in at the time and I got got in through pretty easy it took me about two years just some medical issues popped up but Sure. Over time, you know, I can see that Defence is trying yeah. to get more females in and accommodating them with fitness programs before they join so that once they get to where they need to go, they can smash out every assessment that they need to do. Okay. And um, um, just as I was leaving, uh, we actually got quite a lot more females into the workplace, which was good because it is quite a male-dominated area of work mm, absolutely and and so is um so is emergency services as well yeah um, so yeah um what was your role when you um well go through your um your career with the adf so um i think it was about 80 days of basic training and then i went off to my specific job training so basically a storeman Picture Bunnings, a big warehouse <laughs> full of gear, and it was my job to, you know, go in, pick stores or receive them in once they've come off a truck, stock taking, discrepancy reports and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So once I finished learning the basics of all that, I then uh, got posted up to Darwin for seven years. Wow, okay. Yep. Um, was your... Um... Was your time in the ADF um, Holly and Solly in Australia or were you posted overseas as well? Uh, so I spent majority of it here in Australia, but I did do a stint of seven months um, to the Middle East. Okay. Um, are you allowed to say where you're posted in the Middle East? We called it Camp Cupcake, but we were in the UAE. Okay. Um, and was your role similar or were you doing something else while you were over there? Pretty similar. So I was just in charge of loading individuals into our logistics system so we can keep track of our stores and all that and giving everyone a password reset whenever they needed it (laughs) because people would go on leave for two weeks and then they'd come back and be like, oh, gosh, what's my password? (laughs) 
Well, better call Brit up. She can reset it. <laughs> Fair enough. What was it like over there? I absolutely loved it. It was the highlight of my career because um, on a weekend, we may only get like one day off or half a day and you could go into town, do a bit of shopping, explore the cultural um, sites of the area. But a big thing for me was not having to salute an officer mm-hmm. and the officers over there treated you like a human being. Unlike when you're back at barracks, they're very, you know, hard down the line, you must salute me. And mm-hmm. I remember this one officer just, I lost all respect for him as I left. And he was a big reason why I left um, the army. But yeah, seven months overseas, not having to salute anyone, being able to have a conversation. I was like, this is why I do what I do. <laughs> did you um, did you have to adopt um, local dress customs if you left the barracks or anything like that, or were you pretty much free to to uh, to dress how you wanted? Oh, would have been good to dress how we wanted, but um, there was a dress requirement if we were to leave base and go into town. So, um, yeah, loose clothing, long clothing, no parts of your body exposed just to show a bit of respect to the local culture sure absolutely did it um was it always in the back of your mind that you were in a um in in some sort of um war zone or was it was it fairly um fairly relaxed or were you able to switch off when you did when you did leave the barracks or anything like that yeah definitely um i did get asked quite a lot of questions from friends, family, like, how, how did you do it? How did you cope being in that kind of country away from your children? And I guess you just kind of have to switch off or just get this different mentality that, you know what, I have a job to do. Mm-hmm. That is it. These are the customs and traditions of this country. I will respect that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, for me, I found it quite easily to switch off when I needed to. Just like playing volleyball every afternoon, <laughs> going I, up to the cafe for I, a hot chockey. I always find it a really interesting question. Um, I get asked a lot, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I get asked quite a lot. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm out on the fire ground or anything like that. You know, um, do, does you know do you think about you know your son or your family or you know do you ever worry about not going home or anything like that? And I honestly I I don't like as soon as I switch into into work mode um I, I i don't and that takes a lot of people by surprise i suppose but the thing is that being in the emergency services um you know a lot of the decisions that we that we make and a lot of the situations that we're in if, if you're not there 100 percent and concentrating 100 percent, like people make mistakes and unfortunately in our, in our line of work people get killed because of them yeah definitely um because my husband's a fiery as well, um, we tend to not go on the same truck, mm-hmm. mainly because, you know, we do have two kids to come home to. Sure. But, um, yeah, as soon as that pager goes off, like it's just instant job mode, got a job to do, whether it's, you know, dealing with a car accident or a bushfire, you're just in the zone. This is what I need to do. I can't be focusing on what's happening at home because yep. if I do that, 
something's going to go wrong or I'll get hurt, someone else gets hurt, and I can't have that. Absolutely, absolutely. And community, you know, both the casualties, but community and your fellow firefighters depend on you being being 100% there. And we, um, unfortunately, I suppose we, we both know firefighters that are never never really 100% there and they're, they're um they're they're never the best best persons to be uh to be working with. So, um, so once you finished uh, your deployment in um, overseas, you came back home. Um, how was it coming back home from from that life, even if it was only for seven months? Uh yeah, I struggled. I will admit. Um, my dad had actually come up to Darwin not long after I turned home, and um. I almost sent him into a panic attack because I was getting so worked up and angry just at so many people. I guess when I was deployed, I was so used to the same faces for seven months. You know, you'd go to breakfast, lunch, dinner, work, same accommodation. And I think, yeah, coming back, I just got very overwhelmed with a lot of things, going to, yeah, supermarkets, big shopping centres, even to my husband's Christmas party, I had to leave because I was getting so overwhelmed. Uh And I think knowing that I was obviously suffering from something or dealing with something that was going on with my mental health, I was like, no, you need to fix yourself. So I ended up getting a gym membership Uh not long after I got back. And I was like, well, this is my happy place. I need to detox, get out any anger, any frustrations by lifting weights, running, because yeah, I did come back. I think with a bit of bit of anger issues, a bit of overwhelming feelings, mm-hmm. but um, slowly, slowly working on them. I still get a bit, bit on the angry side, a little bit on the overwhelmed side, but I know how to recognise that and go take a deep breath. It is okay. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Let's get this job done, whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm sure um, your experience with that as well also um, will help other people um, in the future as well because you can you can ad- identify what they're going through and, and you can talk to them about your experience and you know explain what they're going through and this is how I overcame it and um, or learn to, to live with it or manage it and um, you know I, I find that um, um, like PTSD for example. Um, or, or just um, post-traumatic stress in, in general. Um, us as emergency service workers, like we we get we get spoken to about it. We we know what it is, but it's not until you actually experience it yourself do you realise like how it manifests and the, the the very odd ways it can manifest, and um, you know even the small ways they can manifest. But um, yeah, the 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 working through it, the overcoming it, um, I, I think is um i know this is really cliche but it's it's good life experience and it it definitely helps other people because people people genuinely struggle and i know after after december january fires like i i definitely had um um, small amounts of um, post-traumatic stress as well and it was only mild but it gave me a whole new respect and understanding for people that that genuinely like that struggle a lot struggle with it like every day and in severe circumstances as well yeah i'm very big on um trying to promote mental health within my brigade i even um participated in 
a mental health course that was put on by my organisation. And at some point, once my little little man's at a good age that I can get back into doing what I was doing, mm-hmm. is to kind of promote mental health awareness mm-hmm. in my brigade because you don't know if people are suffering. They could be just hiding it so well. And just being able to be an advocate for someone to come and talk to me and be like, hey, Britt, I'm not okay. That's right. How can I get help? That's it. And um, when I was up in Darwin, they um, had a march that they did for emergency services, so police, fireys, ambulance, defence, you name it. And I was actually looking at trying to bring that back home here so you could do like a 5, 10, 15 or a 20-kilometre walk sure. with 20 kilos strapped to your chest. Mm-hmm. And just being able to, you know, break the stigma of, you know, it's okay to talk. You mm. do not have to hide it in. And, you know, there is support, a lot of support out there yep. for you if you are suffering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, the, um, like, I, I know everyone goes on about um, um, obesity and, and being unfit and stuff like that. But, like, the, the, the rate of mental health, uh, mental illness and, and suicide um, especially, you know, outside of metro areas, is just phenomenal. Like it's it's terrible. It really is, especially in Australia. Yeah, I even found that with defence. Um, you know, they focus so much on your physical health. You know, passing your BFA or your PAC test mm-hmm. and all these kind of things, but nobody actually stopped and went. You know what? I'm not going to run a PT session today. I'm going to run a mental health exercise to kind of, you know, keep it fresh in everyone's memory that, you know, don't hold it in, speak up if you are yep. if you are struggling with anything. Yeah, I suppose from my experience dealing with mental health um, and dealing with, um, uh, dealing with other people with mental health issues as well, um, both directly and indirectly, it's not, um, th- there's no easy quick fix and I suppose... Um, there's a lot of organizations that, um, you know, they, they want to do the, you know, the, the course where you cut up a car and, you know, it's X amount of hours. And by the end of it, you can, you, you can be certified to cut up a car and with anything to do with mental health, like there's so many different ways to approach it and so many different ways it can manifest and there's no easy solution. There's no quick solution. And, um, I don't know, I, I still get the feeling that there's, there's some organizations that do, do definitely put it in the too hard basket. That's someone else's problem. We won't, we don't want to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, look, again, um, my organisation, like it's, uh, it's far from perfect, but it's it it has come so far since I've been been a part of it, and I can, I can very proudly say that, um, like I've had to call on those services before, um, and I've had to as a as a leader as well. I've had to call on those services for other people as well, and the services work. Um, they work incredibly well, and. I tell you what, it, um, it it just makes you feel like you can take a few more risks with your um, with your mental health and just push yourself just a little bit further for other people if it means that they get the help they require. And you know, we um, obviously our job is is about saving lives, but um, you know, sometimes those lives that need to be saved is uh, our fellow firefighters as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. 
So you came back from overseas. You were you came back to Darwin. Um, how long how long after you came back from overseas did you resign from the ADF? I think it was about nine or ten months. Mm-hmm. So um, got back from Darwin. I pretty much nearly had two months off and got back in January. Uh, I even got promoted to a corporal. And I was put into a new position and I just, I didn't think the position was for me because it ended up just being an absolute beating session that anything that I did just was not good enough. I ended up having two emotional breakdowns just for the pressure that they were deliberately putting me under. Dang, that's, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, and I think from then I was like, if this is the way I'm going to be treated, and then, you know, when my daughter would get sick from daycare, yep. it felt like an inconvenience. And I was like, well, all these things combined, what am I doing in an organisation that I don't feel welcomed in, no matter what I do is not good enough, yep. having a family such an inconvenience, yep. my husband's not happy in Darwin. Well, yep. you know what? Family first. Here's my discharge. See you later. Yeah. It's... um. It's quite surprising. I mean, if you if you, if you promote diversity, especially gender equality and diversity in in gender as well, I mean, pregnancy and looking after kids is is like goes pretty much hand in hand. So I I don't yep. know sort of what they were expecting, but um, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a shame that um that you left not on the on the best of terms. How was it um how was it inserting back into a hundred percent civilian life? Um, it's taken a lot of adjustment because obviously you've lived this routine, disciplined lifestyle where, you know, you'll be here at a certain time, you will do this, this is when you'll go home. And then just having the freedom, it's just like, holy moly, like what do I do with myself? I don't have to report to anyone. I actually had, um, I'm going to call them nightmares because I dream of still being stuck there and I'm okay to leave, but I'm still stuck there. It's like, no, you're okay. You are home. You are free to go for a run at 10 o'clock. If you want to, you can, (laughs) you know, don't have to go to work at 6am in the morning. You finished up at the, um, um, in the ADF. Um, did you move straight from Darwin um, straight to where you are now or did you um, was there a little bit of a holiday in there or did you sort of hopscotch through Australia or so we um, thought that you know we'd make a bit of a road trip out of it so we actually went straight down the guts of Australia from Darwin down to Adelaide and then across to Canberra and up to Port Macquarie so we thought why not we, we have the money we have the time to explore a little bit of Australia mm-hmm. so yeah, we made a bit of a trip out of it while we could. Excellent. Sounds fantastic. The um, There, there would have been obviously a, a mass climate change going from Darwin to the uh, the, the south or southern or more southern parts than, than Darwin and, and seeing the east coast. Yeah, definitely, because up in Darwin, it's pretty much summer all year round. <laughs> like you do not need a jumper, long pants, um, <laughs> scarves or beanies. Like you don't need it unless you get the odd... Um, during the dry season, so like from April till about August, yep. there might be a dip in temperature to about 22 degrees, yep. and it is freezing for us up there. You'll see people in jumpers and long pants and going, gosh, <laughs> this is cold. And then you come back here and, yeah, 
it's not too bad once you get acclimatized so you're like oh yeah 22 degrees actually feels quite warm yeah fair enough i um i i don't deal with like temperature wise i don't deal well with anything above about 25 degrees (laughs) see i I love it hot love it i can't it's 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 not so much temperature for me it's the humidity i can't I, i just don't function with humidity yeah, up in Darwin, it was just horrendous, especially during the, uh, the wet season. Like, we do PT in the morning, yeah. go have a shower, and you get out of the shower still sweating, uh. and you're like, why did I even bother having a shower <laughs> and go work in a hot warehouse all, all day? It's just like, disgusting. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so you you got out of the ADF and, and you moved down to um, the east coast of Australia. How long was it before you joined the emergency services? Uh, oh, I think it may have taken me a week and I was on my first call out. But, <laughs> wow. um, yeah, I was hoping to kind of ease back into training because I obviously joined um, in 2009 mm-hmm. and I'd done, you know, my basic firefighting, went up to my village, mm-hmm. um, advanced and being a cable operator mm-hmm. and then coming back. Data dumped a lot of this knowledge. I need to get it back. Yep. And yeah, first first night back into it. I think we're up at Red Hill or something. And um, yeah, first fire down in the hill, trying to chase it up a hill. And <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, so much for easing back into this. <laughs> how does the um, how does the stress being in the being well, literally on the front line of an emergency service like um, a voluntary firefighting? Um, service. How does that compare with the stress of being in the ADF? Less stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the sense that, you know, I don't have someone screaming down my neck because I'm not doing this particular task or, you know, I'm standing around talking to people where, um, yeah, RFS is just like, you know what, this is your task. This is what needs to be done. And because you've got that training, you just go and Mm-hmm. Go and do what needs to be done unless you know something has hit the fan and you need to pack up ASAP. Yeah. Then yep. that's when, you know, the heart gets pumping. And I had a had one of those moments um last year during the fire season. Mm, yeah, we'll um we'll we'll definitely touch on that because I know that you're um you're very front and center for that. Um do you feel that your do you feel that your time with the ADF um prepared you for emergency service life? think so because mm. um, um, being in the ADF you know you learn a lot of discipline um, you build that um, initiative skill so when you are you know on the front line firefighting you can work without you know a crew leader or an officer mm-hmm. right by your side going oh you need to do this you need to have your hose at you know this amount of lead uh, literage or this kind of you know spray fog or whatever yep. you know you're just being able to go and do what you need to yep. do. And it is something I will admit um, I do struggle with. Some people is <laughs> initiative, being able to just do something without being told to do it. Yep. Yep. You're, um, do you find that um, obviously you have very, um, very strong leadership skills? Is it, do you find that that's something that um, you find yourself passing on to other members of your, um, of your station? to um being um like at the same level as the others like i 
don't feel like it's my duty or I have the ability to be, you know, directing others what to do because coming from a corporal rank and telling people what to do and then coming back down to kind of bottom level, mm-hmm. um, I just don't feel like I have the authority to be able to do it. Sure. Um, I was actually put into a situation last year where my captain said, hey, Britt, you're in charge of the truck now. Just, you know, make sure everyone's doing the right thing and not, not hurting themselves. And there was a bit of a um, disagreement between two of the firefighters. And in my heart, in my mind, like I just wanted to set the law down between them to, mm-hmm. you know, drop what, they've, what issues they have mm-hmm. because we have a job to do. And I actually said that to my captain. I'm like, I just feel like I don't have the authority to, like, to stamp my foot down yep. and set, you know, the line with them. And he's like, mate, I don't care. I'll put you in charge of a truck. <laughs> do what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that relieving or acting position is an extremely I, – I, I struggle with it. Um, I was, um, I was put, in, put in as um, acting deputy captain and then acting captain and, and so on and so forth at, at my station. And, uh, it, look, even outside the emergency services as well, like if you're, um, if you're looking after you know, um, a team leader's job at work or something like that, but you're not really that team leader, um, I, I completely agree with you. Like you've got that authority, but – you sort of feel like you don't as well because you're only in that in that role as an acting position. So I, um, yeah, I, I I really really struggle with it. And it wasn't until um, I actually got appointed did I um, did I actually start feeling um, like I was I was comfortable in that position to be starting to making like make decisions and stuff like that. I'm trying to work on getting my career leader qualification up because um, I could have done it early this year but i decided to fall pregnant and have a baby so um yeah <laughs> put that off and hopefully next year sometime i can get some training and uh, get my assessment done because yep. um, my hubby is uh you know i think kind of eager for me to start stepping up and you know have me as an option as a as an officer when it comes to the agm yeah no very very cool well obviously they've um identified that you do have that strong leadership and strong command skills so i mean that's yeah that's that's awesome and a lot of the time that's that's not something you can teach either you've either got it or you or you sort of don't so yeah that's it and i even asked um my captain my senior deputy captain and i was like do you think that i am ready Mm -hmm. to be able to take on this role and they're like yep do it (laughs) go for it and my captain actually said to me last saturday he's like next year you are doing your career leader Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for, for those that don't know, what does crew leader mean? So crew leader um, basically means that you're able to take a truck out. Um, if a call comes in, you need to respond to a bushfire, structure fire, MBA, that you're able to take a truck out mm-hmm. um, and direct, supervise um, crew on that truck, yep. create an incident and be able to say, you know what, I need two lines, two lengths out go yep. and have that crew do that task. Excellent. Very and be able right. to run an incident as well. Um, what made you join the, um, the emergency services? So in 2009 or 2008, actually, uh, my brother was a part of um, a local brigade and he was quite eager for me to, to join up. And I was like, nah, mate, like year 10, you know, big school certificate. I need to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I kind of slobbed him off and 
Come 2009, he was kind of getting his bags packed ready for the uh, Victoria fires, but got stood down. And uh, that, so that was early January. And then come 22nd of February 2009, he uh, passed away in a car accident. So not long after that, I thought, you know what? He wanted me to join. I need something to do in my life because I decided to leave school and I need something to fill in the time. And went down to the local brigade and got some paperwork and signed up. Wow. Okay. Um, the, um, the brigades um, outside of Sydney metro area, um, up and down the, uh, the, the north and south coast and even out rural areas, they, um, uh, they, they don't just look after wildfires. They look after, as you've already alluded to, structure fires, uh, rescue, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, because your brother passed away in a, in a car accident or, or what we call an MVA, how does that affect you or does it affect you um, doing, your, doing your job? Um, sometimes I'll be okay. Other times, like, I might sit in the back of the truck and I see the lights going and I hear the siren. I get just, like, a little bit overwhelmed inside. But I think in my head, Britt, you've got this, you are okay, mm-hmm. and you can do this. Um, I had one moment at an incident last year for an MVA where I saw the ambulance pull out the stretcher with a white blanket and it kind of hit me because my dad's actually got a blanket that my brother was covered in at his accident and I think I kind of went back to visualising his blanket when I saw it and I was like, okay. Take a deep breath. You've got this girl. You are okay. And a couple of deep breaths and just going, you know what? You've got a job to do. Focus on it. I was managed to, you know, able to be okay and get back on the track. Sure. Yeah, feel feel good. But, yeah, I do do have moments where, you know, I'll get that little bit of an overwhelming feeling inside and be like, no, got a job to do. So not only with, um, obviously because you've been personally touched by, uh, by MVAs, but just, just the whole job in general, um, how, do you, how do you sort of unwind or decompress yourself? So I tend to, you know, jump in the car and pop me a Rob Bailey and the Hustle Standard music on, <laughs> get home, um, Usually I might have some chocolate in the fridge and I'll just devour the, the rest that's left mm-hmm. and uh, just go have a nice nice hot shower, wash the hair and try and get the smell of the smoke out, which never works. Nope. Usually five <laughs> washes down the, down the couple of days and yep. eventually gets out. Yep. I, um, at, at, one, at one point in my, uh, my adulthood, I had, a, uh, I had a, a man bun. I had a top knot. And, um, I found that I, I I don't know how people with longer hair than I did, um, do it. Like I've, I've got short hair and it, it takes a good five or six washes straight afterwards just to get that initial smoke out. And like you said, it's, it, it takes all, it takes a good long time after that to actually get that smell out. That's quite, it's quite amazing. You know, you think, you know, one wash, good, good hard wash, you'll get it out. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, and I mean that's 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 what they go on about. Well, not not going about because that sounds very negative, but that's <laughs> that that's what they do go on about about you know the amount of carcinogens and stuff like that that we we're breathing in, and 
you know, if, if that's like, we, we wear that much PPE and PPC that, you know, that amount of smell shouldn't be getting into our hair. But if that's what's getting into our hair and that's the amount of gear that we're wearing, imagine what's what we're breathing in. Um, if we, if we're not wearing breathing apparatus or masks or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, even if you're just tending a a small bushfire or grass fire and you do chuck on a P2 mask, just how filthy it gets just from, you know, and now a job or something. Yeah. And it's sometimes the smaller jobs that are the most dangerous, like bin fires or something like that. Like God knows what's in that bin. And the amount of carcinogens that, you know, plastics and crap give off these days is just ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. I think um, our guys attended a, um, there's a mulch pile and they're like finding, you know, teddy bears <sighs> and a whole heap of other stuff in there. And it's like, yep. you know, you just don't know what's going to be in those piles. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, blasting water and getting wet and it's like, <laughs> oof. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you've already alluded that um, you were part of the December, January fires. Um, and you also uh, made the decision, and I was, I'm pretty sure it's your entire brigade made the decision to um, uh, to not attend the fires climb in 2019 because uh, essentially the shit had hit the fan by then. We literally had our bags packed. And um, one of our mates went to go get the bus from our fire control centre mm-hmm. and the sky was just orange and I had never seen anything like it. It was so eerie and a kind of bit of a gariness kind of to it. And um, we had, went to a friend's house and the three of us were just like, we can't, we can't go down to the climb. You know, mm-hmm. the, we were hearing that the highway was closed, you mm-hmm. know, fire was impacting it. Yep. And um, we had both trucks out and we were just like talking amongst ourselves. It was like, yeah, no, nah, we, we can't go. We can't leave our crews here, the, you know, day shifts, night shifts and just the same crews over and over. Like we need to stay here and help because, yeah, shit has hit the fan. Yeah, it wasn't long after that that we were we were deployed as well. So um, how long were you guys deployed for? Like because um, that was that was start of November. Um, did you basically work through till November, uh, till, till January? Uh, basically, um, but our fire season actually kind of started in July when, uh, Linfield kicked off. Mm. So that was, yeah, that 18th of July. And I remember that call out, um, fire, um, the other fire agency was on scene and yeah, we ended up helping them. But yeah, from July till January, we were pretty much nonstop day shift, night shift yep. and just, yeah. Yeah. Many, many hours on the flying ground. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, man, I, I cannot believe, you know, and, and it's funny cause like you said, the, the, um, the media sort of make it out like it was, you know, the, the, the December, January fires, but for us, it, it did kick off about mid year and it was just, it was just dry and hot and windy and man, oh man, it just never stopped. Um, we were, yeah, it felt um, like that. <laughs> we were in, we were in close proximity to when, um, to when Lithgow town went up and, um, that was, that was pretty intense, but what was, um, what was some of the defining moments over that long period over the December, January? You know, how, how little rain and how hot our winter was and just the fuel buildup 
like around Port Macquarie and how the fire behaved and how it travelled so far, so close to properties. And like I take my hat off to the local crews and the crews that came in to help us. And you know, I'm amazed at how we did not lose a single home around the Port Macquarie, Lake Cat Eye areas. Like, phew, take my hat off to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I had a moment, uh, it was a Friday night, I was doing a, a night shift and um, just simple mopping up. The fire wasn't doing anything too crazy. It's just, I think it was probably 10 centimetres in height trickling along and heard over the radio that a wind change was coming in around 12 a.m. Mm-hmm. And um, we are packing up some some hoses on the truck and just feeling a light little breeze on um on my face and that's when I hear the driver going, get in the truck now. <laughs> and it was it was ten o'clock at night and that wind change had come and myself and the crew leader who were on the passenger side mm-hmm. got in the truck just in time as the flames were flicking our heels. And um from the video that you've probably seen on my Instagram, um yeah. They got pretty pretty hairy at one point there, and um, thankfully we had a had a good escape route and yep. went straight to a, a property on Fernbank Creek Road and straight into our property protection. So when you're in the cab, because I, I I know the video, um, but for for the listeners, um, where can they find the video? So if they just go underscore Brittany Daily on Instagram, have a flick through my many photos, and um, yeah, you should uh, find. Yeah, find a video on there. It's a, I think it's got a orange kind of picture to it. <laughs> and if they uh, click on that, then uh, yeah, they can have a look at it. Did that go into full burnover, or were you did did you just get out in time? I just got out in time. Wow. So I think the flames um, flicked up on the side of the vehicle and actually melted part of the uh, the mirror on the passenger side. Yep. So I think, yeah, we just got out in time yeah. as it, uh, yeah, crossed over onto the other side of the track. Yeah. We're still, um, uh, we, so during winter we had a, we had a tanker at our station as a second appliance and that was, that was deployed up north. I'm not exactly sure where, but yeah, same thing. Um, like all the reflective strips were all bubbled up still and like the, the mirrors were slightly, slightly out of shape and yeah, it was just the, I, I would say majority of our tanker fleet um, still still carry battle scars from from you know the start of this year, end of last year. Yeah, I remember seeing a video. I think of um, one of the anchors from your organisation, and um, I think the brake system or something failed on the truck, and they had to um, pop their breathing apparatus on <laughs> and uh, yeah, yep. get out. I was like, whoa, that yeah. would have been. Uh, Getting the heart pumping. Yeah, it's, from from what I've from what I've heard, it's it's a little bit of an oversight. But that that type of appliance, when the when when the brake line is broken um, through whatever reason, the the safety system kicks in and the rest of the brakes on the unbroken side uh, lock on. So in in an urban environment, um, if for whatever reason one of the brake lines fails, it's it's perfect. You're you're on a road. It you, the the appliance stops and it's fantastic. But yeah, as as you've said, in in that particular instance, it's probably not the uh, probably not the, the the best thing to be to be happening for sure. So there's a there, there's definitely a lot of um, um there there are a lot a lot of videos and a lot of um, 
a, a lot of videos shown by the media of um, of firefighters working on the front line. And um, I would dare say this is probably one of the first years where um, the media's he- like relied so heavily on people with their mobiles or you know fire uh, fire cameras and stuff like that attached to their gear. Um, you know, submitting it to, well, putting it on their own social media and then uh, media picking it up. Yeah, I had a, uh, a few uh, media outlets reach out and ask for permission to, you know, use a couple of videos, a couple of photos just to be able to, you know, get out to the community what is actually going on. Mm, yep. Um, yeah, that's right. Well, hey, look, at, at least they called you and asked for permission. I there's a there's a fairly famous photo that I took while I was deployed down at Janolan Caves, and that's been passed around a lot through media. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll probably weekly I'll receive a message from one of my mates just showing that my picture's been used again somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Um, so not only your fire videos, but one of your other videos um, went viral um, and even made it onto um, to free-to-air TV here in Australia. It sure did. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, what, was, what was the lead-up to that? What was the behind-the-scenes? Like what, what, um, what led you to do that? Um, I don't know. I think I started that more out in a really really good mood i was dancing at the station just practicing not thinking i'd end up doing it later on in the afternoon but yeah i was in a really good mood um i even uh tried to teach a couple of the other female firefighters how to do it so that <laughs> you know maybe they could jump in a video as well but um yeah we got back to um the rollins plains showgrounds and um you know i was in a, in a little bit of a groove and one of my mates was like, you should so totally do it in front of the fire truck. <laughs> so uh, one of my mates jumped up and uh, put on the Get Up Challenge dance by, um, I think it's Blanco Brown. Correct me if I'm wrong. And, um, yeah, decided to get my boogie on and uh, it made my night when uh, the three kids jumped in and had a bit of a dance as well. <laughs> oh, it's... Um... That, uh, like I said, that that got picked up by media outlets everywhere, like absolutely everywhere. I I, I saw that video everywhere on on social media. But it's it's kind of funny because it's such a stark contrast to, um, you know, running around a lot of stress, uh, a lot of PPC, very very hot on the fire ground on the front line, and then when you're relieved and you're off duty, you, you need that you need that emotional release and. I suppose for for a civilian or someone that's never been put in that situation, it's sort of hard to hard to comprehend. Um, but look, we're we're exactly the same. And for, for civilians looking on, especially in fire grounds, and you see um, firefighters, you know, joking or smiling or something like that, it's it's not out of disrespect or anything like that. It's just it's just how we how we deal with that that stress. Yeah, definitely. You know. Uh, my husband tends to, you know, crack a little joke about something and that's kind of his way of coping. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, for me for me that afternoon, I think that was kind of my release, my kind of coping mechanism because um, that community had actually been feeding us for the last week or so. Yep. And they didn't have to, like, you know, cooking us breakfast, lunch, dinners. And uh, I think it was kind of 
my way to, yeah, cope, but also kind of give back to them with a bit of, bit of smiles, <laughs> bit of laughter and just, you know, we are human at the end of the day. When we take off our uniform, we are human. Mm. We're just an everyday person that, you know, goes to work and then when the pager goes off, that's when we put on our superhero suit, as many would say, and mm-hmm. uh, go and help their community. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's... um. I um it, it still it still astounds me how much Australia, not just certain pockets, but the the entire of Australia, came together and supported firefighters. It was man, I've I've never seen anything like it. I've never yeah. ever seen anything like it. Um, I on on our social media through um through the organisation I'm with, I did a post in regards to you know um if if people could. You know, um, d- just a suggested list of what they can donate to the local volunteers, um, because uh, the the volunteers were, were getting stuff, but they were getting some really odd stuff. Um, so just just a list of you know non perishables, you know, some tin this, or you know, if if someone can volunteer an hour and you know go make sandwiches or something like that, anything like that. And and the response just from my town, and, and my town's only like twenty five hundred. In, in the main town and 4,500 in the whole um, LGA. But the response was absolutely astounding. Like at, at one point we had to say just, you know, woe back um, because they, they were just overwhelmed with the amount of, you know, bottled waters and power aids and all that sort of stuff they were receiving, which is absolutely amazing to see. It's it's great. Definitely. We had um, quite a good um, community effort from um, Port Macquarie, even some of the Western communities and, you know, dropping off um, bags of food, uh, cartons of water. Even our local church group did up snack, snack packs for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just the um, community effort was just outstanding. We mm. couldn't thank them enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we went straight from fires into COVID. Yeah, no, that was that was uh, <laughs> hectic and, uh, yeah, definitely changed, um, changed how we operated as a as a brigade with uh, minimal persons on the truck. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. How do you feel as emergency services, um, not just firefighters, but, but everyone, because everyone was involved to a certain expect, but uh, extent, but how do you feel? Um, how prepared do you feel that we are for, for this year, for this year's fire season? I'm hoping that we've learned from, Last year, um, especially with the uh, the Royal Commission that happened and all the recommendations, um, I don't think we'll have as a hectic season as we did last year, but the amount of hazard reductions that I'm seeing at the moment over Facebook, um, it's definitely a lot more than what we did last year, mm. and I think that's a pretty pretty good thing. Yep, yep, absolutely. But um, I think probably as a brigade, um, we might have a little bit more knowledge about how to fight fires like that in the future if it was to happen. Yep. Yep. If anything, I, I would say um, it's it's given us experience and helped us to realise that uh, at, at no point should you be complacent about the job that we do because at any given point, you know, um, the shit can hit the fan and, and not just in your area. But, I mean, the, the, the entire eastern seaboard, uh, Australia, entire eastern sea, uh, uh, eastern coast of Australia was was alight, and obviously not just just us, but there was there was fires everywhere, and yeah, it was um, yeah, 
I, I, yeah, it was pretty uh, incredible to see, you know, going from North Coast area all the way down towards Bates, Batemans Bay, and mm-hmm. even a couple areas um, out west. It's just like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. And definitely the complacency part, like, you, you can't be complacent. I think that's something that I've learned from last season was to not be complacent just because it's, you know, burning a burnt ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can still spot, which I learnt from Linfield on a on a Monday. Just you know, it's okay. It's burning in burnt ground. We'll just do a quick patrol and head off. And um, yeah, that was a day that there was no patrolling, no just yet. Yeah, no, nah, she's fine. It took off. Yeah. Um, what is it like being female and being a firefighter? Like, does does your gender ever come into it or you're a firefighter first and you're, you know, gender second? From my military experience, I was always taught you're a soldier first. So I believe you're a firefighter first. And when everyone puts that uniform on, I don't see you as a male. I don't see you as a female. I see you as a firefighter. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't think I've ever experienced any kind of, what can you say? harassment or you know oh you're a female you can't do that yeah. anything i'm pretty, pretty happy with my brigade they're supportive and quite quite encouraging towards any of the tasks that need to be done yeah that's absolutely fantastic to hear um have you ever felt any pressure or desire to uh to broaden the representation um of um like diversity or anything like that within the emergency services much pressure but i think it's wonderful that they're trying to encourage more more females to get a part of it because um it is quite male dominated and uh, we actually had an influx of females joining this year and i've just gone hell yeah i don't have to be the only girl on the truck anymore there might be another one or another two yeah and um you know they can do the job as well absolutely you can yeah yeah my um my deputy captain is um, is female, and um, we've we've had a few few females throughout the years at, at my station. But she's um, she's stuck around, and man oh man, she's um, just loyal and um, just uh, yeah, invaluable. Just a, an absolutely amazing person. So um, see, it helps um, having a female in a leadership position because then it kind of encourages you know the. The females that are fireflies going, you know what? If she can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. Yep. God, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So as you said in your introduction, you're um you're a mother of two now and um and your your son is coming up to three months. How's the transition from um from uh, mother of one to mother of two going? Days. I will admit it has it de- has its days. Um, my Miss Five Year Old got a little bit jealous towards the um beginning when um my son came into the world because you know our attention was a hundred percent towards her. Mm-hmm. Everything would be about her. And now this tiny little human's coming to the world, <laughs> and he's suddenly getting all the focus and attention. Yep. I think she's kind of just like what. What are you doing, mum and dad? I, I want attention too. 
But um, as the weeks have progressed, she has become an absolutely wonderful big sister. Yep. You know, she'll come out of her bedroom in the morning where I am on the couch because I've fallen asleep at 4 a.m. I can't be bothered going back to bed. And um, she'll, you know, come up, give him a cuddle, give him a kiss. Even when she finishes school, she's straight towards kissing him, cuddling him. Yep. And um, sometimes I'll tell her to, you know, can you just look after him while I go put the bags in the car yep. and I'll come back and they're literally just having a conversation between each other. Aww. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, you're rubbing my heart. <laughs> Any plans of having more? No. I don't think my body could handle a third <laughs> one. Caesareans are just too, uh, too draining on the body, I think. Yeah, my um, my my sister in law had um, I think both. Uh, she has two kids, and um, I'm pretty sure she had a cesarean for both. And she, uh, like, you hear cesarean, and and you sort of you you know the you know the process sort of. I mean, you, they they cut you open, they take the baby out, but in, until she actually explained exactly what they do, which absolutely blew my mind. It um, yeah, I I cannot believe um, that um, that mothers are sort of back on their feet and, and doing their thing um, so quickly. I mean, I, I suppose you sort of you sort of have to. A lot of time you don't get much of a choice, but holy crap. Like it's 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 mind-blowing yeah. what you can put your body through as as a parent, both with um, uh, lack of sleep and and missed meals and, um, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty crazy, like especially when you kind of stop to think about it or you're just like, wow. They're just superhumans, you know. They say, oh, yeah, you need eight hours of sleep a night. And then you kind of run off two hours of sleep and you're like, you know, I'm pinging. I'm good. I <laughs> need eight hours of sleep. And the funny thing is I don't actually drink coffee. Oh, really? So, yep. Wow. I get okay. a lot of comments, you know. How do you survive? Like, <laughs> how do you keep going? You don't drink coffee. What do you drink? I'm like, ah, I get my buzz off life. It's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I um we've um I've I've got a son. He's um he's three and a three and a bit. He'll he'll three in September. And um looking back at um you know the first couple of years, like we were, he was he was an easy baby. Um from about ten ten months, um he was sleeping all the way through. I think yep. maybe a touch early. I, I actually think it was a little bit earlier than that. Um, and even when he was, was newborn, like it was three hours on the dot, like feed, cry, feed, um, cuddle, and he just went back to sleep. Um, so we, um, we took it in turns and, and because I'm, I'm a night owl, um, I, I took the nights and, um, yeah, it was, it, it all worked out. But again, looking back on it, you know, like I was like both, um, both myself and, and the wife were up at, you know three hour intervals doing our thing. Uh, I don't think I could, um, I don't think I could, I, I, I just don't know how I did it. And, and even now, like if he wakes up in the middle of the night because he's had a bad dream or something like, like that, like I, I wake up in the morning, I feel like absolute crap and yeah. sort of have to remember that. Yeah. Once upon a time I was doing that every three hours. Yeah. I think your body kind of, kind of gets used to it after a, you know, a week or two, like my little man goes down at about seven thirty. And if he's really cracking the shits, maybe eight thirty, nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. But he'll sleep till about somewhere between one and two thirty, mm-hmm. and then he'll be up at four. Somewhere between four yeah. and four thirty, he'll yeah. be up. 
And when he started doing that, I was like, oh, man, I feel like a train has hit me. <laughs> and and now I'm just like, yeah, get him out of bed, feed him, change a nappy, wrap him back up, put him back to back to bed. Yep. And, yeah, I'll wake up now and I'm like, yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> Very good. So, Britt, we, we're coming up to December. What have you got planned for the rest of the year? Any Anything exciting? Christmas at home this year. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to make it a little bit more special for my Miss Five and because mm-hmm. um, I think the last couple of Christmases has been a little bit disjointed. So mm-hmm. I just kind of put my foot down like, not nah, Christmas at home. Yep. And, yeah, just going to make it a little bit more special, special for her because she's kind of at an age now where, you know, she gets excited and just wants to, you know, run and open the presents already. And it's like, no. <laughs> My my tree is up at the moment. I will admit. Uh, you're one of the look. Uh, the um the the general consensus is um and and even people that really don't like Christmas, like I've I've seen everywhere on social media, people putting up their their Christmas trees early just because they just need a little just just that little bit of a uh, little little bit of cheer. Yeah, that's been a bit of a a crappy year this year. So yeah. it's Christmas just around the corner. Like, why not have something good to kind of finish the year off with and uh, start start next year hopefully on a on a good way. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, we're we're only 4 weeks out, so um yeah. Um and next year any um any massive plans or um I think just um for myself, um getting fit, uh losing the uh 10 15 kilos that I need to lose um but that's a journey for me and i'm accepting that it is taking a little bit longer than what it did with my um previous bub but i'm happy with where i am at the moment um might sign up for a for a running event but cool. we'll see about that awesome but um yeah i think i might just enjoy enjoy bub now while like Mm-hmm. And because before I know it, he's going to be 18 years old and leave home. <laughs> That's it. That's right. Um, probably eventually get back into fly flighting. Um, I'm actually in no rush to get back to it. I'm quite happy having a bit of a break from mm-hmm. it all. Yep. But um, I think, yeah, get my get my crew leader done, get qualified, and uh, go from there. No, sounds awesome. Very, very cool. Yourself. Um, look. I'm I'm not going to make any exciting plans until we're at the opposite side of the um of of the fire season. It's it's not that I have a pessimistic outlook. Um, that's just how I'm wired. Um, I don't think there's going to be I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as last year. But um, you know, there's there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, you've you've got nothing to worry about. You know, like there's there's green grass and it's been raining and you know it's all wet and stuff like that and. Um, take is a couple of days of dry weather, windy it. weather to dry it all out, and then next minute yeah. you got grass fires coming out of your bum. Yeah, well, that's it. That's it. And the last year's fires were so intense; um, they either crowned or, or went across the ground. And there's still a lot of fuel out there, a ridiculous yeah. amount of fuel. Yeah, we get a lot of comments that um, you know, oh, nothing's going to burn around Port Macquarie, and because, you know, we had fires um, so close to where we are. But, you know, you look at some of the state forests and mm-hmm. the bushland, like 
literally over the highway from Port Macquarie and you're like, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of fuel around and, you know, a couple of days of dry weather, it will go up. Yeah. It may not be as, you know, large-scaled fire, but yeah. it will probably produce a lot of heat and be quite intense. Yeah. That's so that's it. where that complacency comes in, you know, do not be complacent. <laughs> that's it. No, very, very cool. All right. Well, look, I will um, I will let you go and um, go get some sleep. Um, and look, I can't thank you enough for uh, for being on being a guest on my podcast. And um, yeah, I hope that um, if I don't speak to you beforehand, I hope you have a, uh, a good and quiet Christmas with your family. And um, it's the Q word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. Yes, <laughs> but yes. Look, I, I I hope you have a um I hope you have a good Christmas and um you know a, a good New Year and I'll be um I'll be holidaying up your way at the end of January. So I'll um I'll give you a message. We'll have to catch up for a well. I, I don't know. What do you drink if you don't drink coffee? I'll drink a Thai latte, oh, or I'll get no. a juice. Ju- what? Come on. Fair enough. All right. No, that's that's all right. We'll 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 catch up for a for a beverage in a mug. Sounds good. <laughs> no worries. All right, Britt. Thank you very much for joining me. No, thank you very much for having me. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> See ya. Bye. The opinions or views expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the host or guest and do not represent those of the people, institutions or organizations that the host or guest may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company or individual.